hello. Today is May 19th, 2021, and this is the fourth episode of the Mental Threads Podcast. I'm your host, Toasty. Considering the date is Malcolm X's birthday, we're going to dedicate this episode mostly to him and his accomplishments and his legacy. But to sidetrack, I would like to say rest in peace to Paul Mooney, whom was a writer for Richard Pryor and Eddie Murphy, a great and brilliant comedian, uh, sadly passed away today. Um, I know you. a lot of people might recall him from his own stand-ups and also like from roles like Ask Paul Mooney on the Dave Chappelle show, which, you know, it's really... A whole lot of funny, funny, hilarious moments that came from that. Um, it's really, really sad that we have to lose another brilliant mind within the black community. But at the same token, we had to celebrate his life also. At least he got to live a long, long life. I think he died uh, in his 70s, which is, you know, that's a pretty damn it's a good track record, you know, to live all the way up to your 70s. So, you know, I mend him for that. Back to the subject matter at hand, anyway. Malcolm X, original name Malcolm Little, um, our Muslim name El Haj Malik El Shabazz, born May 19, 1925, in Omaha, Nebraska, United States, and died, sadly, February 21st, 1965, at the age of 39. He was an African American leader and prominent figure in the Nation of Islam who articulated the concepts of race and pride, black nationalism, in the early 1960s. After his assassination, the widespread distribution of his life story, the autobiography of Malcolm X, made him an ideological hero, especially among black youth. Born in Nebraska while an infant, Malcolm moved with his family to Lansing, Michigan. When Malcolm was six years old, his father, the Reverend Earl Little, a Baptist minister and former supporter of the early black nationalist leader Marcus Garvey, died after being hit by a streetcar, rolls eyes, quit possibly, not quite possibly the victim of murder by whites. We all know how that turned out. The surviving family was so poor that Malcolm's mother, Louise Little, resorted to cooking dandelion greens from the street to feed her children. After she was committed to an insane asylum in 1939, Malcolm and his siblings were sent to foster homes or to live with family members. Malcolm excelled in school, but after one of his eighth grade teachers told him that he should become a carpenter instead of a lawyer, you know, he lost his interest and soon ended his formal education. You know, it's just, it's a really sad situation we see um, within the school system where they really shut down a lot of positive and great black minds when they're young. Um, as you know, and they pretty much stated that the dude was a nigger. So it's like you can't really can't really see a nigger become like a lawyer and stuff like that. An actual teacher will tell that to a kid and everything. And, you know, I feel that uh, strongly myself. I, I, too, also had my issues like with uh, my teachers and everything. Some were really, really cool and uh, uplifting and others were just just shit on you and stuff like that. But. Uh, to the track um this led him to a life um to become a more of a rebellious youngster malcolm moved from michigan state detention home a juvenile home in mason michigan to the roxbury section of boston to live with an 
older half-sister Ella from his father's first marriage. There he became involved in petty criminal activities in his teenage years. No, nah. And he uh, took the na- the aliases or aliases? Whatever. He took the name as Detroit Red for the reddest tinge in his hair. He developed into a street hustler, drug dealer, and the leader of a gang of thieves in Roxbury and Harlem in New York City. While in prison for robbery from 1946 to 1952, he underwent a conversion that eventually led him to join the Nation of Islam, an African-American movement that combined elements of Islam with black nationalism. His decision to join the nation also influenced by discussions with his brother Reginald, who had become a member in Detroit and who was incarcerated with Malcolm in the Norfolk uh prison colony in Massachusetts in 1948. Malcolm quit smoking and gambling and refused to eat pork in keeping with the nation's dietary restrictions. In order to educate himself, he began, he spent long hours reading books in the prison library, even memorizing a dictionary. He also sharpened his forensic skills by participating in debate classes. Following nation tradition, he replaced his surname Little with an X, a custom among Nation of Islam members who consider their family names to have originated with slave white holders. I mean, no, white slave holders. <laughs> yeah, my bad. But anyway, they just they wanted to drop that name. No white slave holders. After his release from prison, Malcolm helped to lead the Nation of Islam during the period of its greatest growth and influence. He met the Honorable Elijah Muhammad in Chicago in 1952 and then began organizing temples for the nation in New York, Philadelphia, and Boston, and in, the, and in cities in the South. He founded the nation's newspaper, Muhammad Speaks, which he printed in the basement of his home and initiated the practice of requiring every male member of the nation to sell an assigned number of newspapers on the street as a recruiting and fundraising technique he also articulated the nation's racial doctrines on the inherent evil of whites and the national superiority of blacks malcolm rose rapidly to become the minister of boston temple temple number one which he founded he was later rewarded with the post of minister of temple number seven in harlem the largest and most prestigious temple in the nation after the Chicago headquarters recognizing his talent and ability. Elijah Muhammad, who had a special affection for Malcolm, named him the national representative representative of the na- nation of Islam, second in rank to Muhammad himself. Under Malcolm's lieutenancy, the nation claimed a membership of 500,000 um, the actual number of members fluctuated, however, and the influence of the organization refracted from, no, refracted through the public persona of Malcolm X always greatly exceeded its size. An articulate public speaker, a charismatic personality, and an indefatigable, in, no, indef, what, what kind of word? Indef, indefatigable organizer. Malcolm X expressed the pent-up anger, frustration, and bitterness of African Americans during the major phase of the Civil Rights Movement from 1955 to 1965. He preached on the streets of Harlem and spoke at major universities such as Harvard University and the University of Oxford. His keen intellect, incisive wit, and ardent radicalism 
made him a formidable critic of American society. He also criticized the mainstream civil rights movement, challenging Martin Luther King Jr.'s central notions of integration and nonviolence. Malcolm argued that more was at stake than the civil rights to sit in a restaurant or even to vote. The most important issues were black identity, integrity, and independence, in contrast to King's strategy of nonviolence. Civil disobedience and redemptive suffering, Malcolm urged his followers to defend themselves by any means necessary. His biting critique of the so-called Negro provided the intellectual foundations for the black power and black consciousness movements in the United States in the late 1960s and 70s. Through the influence of the Nation of Islam, Malcolm X helped to change the terms used to refer to African Americans from Negro and colored to black and, Afro and Afro-American. Within the final years and legacy, in 1965, no, 63, there were deep tensions between Malcolm and Elijah Muhammad over the political direction of the nation. Malcolm urged that the nation become more active in the widespread civil rights protests instead of just being a critic on the sidelines. Muhammad's violations of the moral code of the na nation further worsened his relations with Malcolm, who was devastated when he learned that Muhammad had fathered children by six of his personal secretaries, two of whom filed paternity suits and made the issue public. Malcolm brought additional bad publicity to the nation when he declared publicly that President John F. Kennedy's assassination was an example of chickens coming home to roost, a violent society suffering the consequences of violence. In response to the outrage, this statement provoked Elijah Muhammad ordered Malcolm to observe a 90-day period of silence, and the break between the two leaders became permanent. Malcolm left the nation in March 1964 and in the next month founded Muslim Mosque, Inc. During his pilgrimage to Mecca that same year, he experienced a second conversion and embraced Sunni Islam, adopting the Muslim name El Hajj. Malik el-Shabazz, renouncing the separatist beliefs of the nation. He claimed that the solution to racial problems in the United States lay in Orthodox Islam. On the second of two visits to Africa in 1964, he addressed the Organization of African Unity, known as African Union since 2002, an intergovernmental inter group established to promote African unity, international cooperation, and economic development. In 1965, he founded the Organization of Afro-American Unity as a secular vehicle to internationalize the plight of black Americans and to make common cause with the people of the developing world to move from civil rights to human rights. The growing hostility between Malcolm and the nation led to death threats and open violence against them. On February 21st, 1965, Malcolm was assassinated while delivering a lecture at the Adubon Ballroom in Harlem. Three members of the Nation of Islam were convicted of the murder. He, uh, he was survived by his wife, Betty Shabazz, whom he married in 1958 and, and six daughters. His martyrdom, ideas, and speeches contributed to the development of black nationalist ideology and black power movement and helped to popularize the values of anonymy and independence among African Americans in the 1960s and 70s. So, yeah. yeah, so our ancestor, Malcolm X, really did a whole lot out here and everything. Um, 
And it just goes to show, it really adds on to the narrative that really it doesn't matter how you start or what tragedies that you face in life, that you can still be of a great influence to people. You know, this man really lost his father, like, you know, without getting any redemption for it at, I don't know, getting any justice for it at all. His father basically being murdered by, you know, KKK members. It's a very sad situation. And then to actually see his mother actually lose her mind, actually had to put into an insane asylum, his family getting separated and everything, and then leading into a life of just degeneracy and, like, you know, robbing people, getting deep into drugs and gang life and so on, just to go into to prison, a very low point for a lot of black males in this country to really find himself, his true self, uh, not, not Detroit Red, not Malcolm Little, but Malcolm X. You know, it really just goes to show that no matter what we go through in life, no, whatever place that we stand or whatever type of really shitty type situation, adversity, stuff of that nature, we can still rise up to really find our true selves, really connect with our higher selves. I think it's just, I think it's really just wonderful. I think it's really a wonderful, not as just a narrative as a whole, but it just really inscribes into the fabric of, you know, black history, African history as a whole, that uh, no matter how much we fall out of sync, you know, we can always fall back into sync. For them to really poison this child's mind, uh, the younger version of Malcolm Little or Malcolm X, um, to just say like, oh, no matter how smart he was, no matter, despite even being picked as president in the class, and I, I read somewhere that he was actually picked as the president of the class, voted, they would still call him a nigger. They would still call him that, and he would consider like a pet name or some shit like that. It became so used to him, you know, that it's just like it just became, he thought that it was just part of him, and he was just just so far from the truth. He was not a nigger. He was not. He was Malcolm X. Before, but this is before he really realized that he was Malcolm X. And just for the teachers to like literally say like, "Hey, man." You can't be this niggers can't be no lawyer and shit like that and it's just their own like bullshit insecurities you know a lot of us face this like in society even to this day you know you come across some bitter individuals way older than you and everything and then they just talk shit down to you like you're nothing you know i i, I face i know i mentioned earlier but i face things of that nature very similarly and it's not it's not pretty, man. It's just imagine being pulled out of class in front of like your peers and everything saying that you're a waste of time by a teacher and everything, that you're nothing or, or that you actually put some time into an essay and then they just be like, oh, yeah, you just copied and pasted everything like you copied and pasted everything like I didn't just put time into it just because like I use big words into it like that bothers you. Usually people would just amend them or just like uh, high five them. Like, oh, yeah, good job. And even if they felt a little bit skeptical, you got to have proof, man. You can't just like go like off your mind. Ooh, like, oh, I know everybody's capabilities. And like, what's the point of you being a fucking teacher then? You know, everyone's capabilities and everything. But like you're here to teach us. Why the fuck are you here? You're supposed to have us reach our the best of our abilities to ignite the best of us, you know? And it's just, they would just do some shit like, oh, if you do this next time, we're going to give you a zero or some shit like that. Like, do what? You know? And it's just, I know I'm, like, rambling over this shit, but it's just, like, you really do face a lot of, like, adversity as a black male in this country. From the education system, the legal system, and just just so society as a whole, man. It's just, like, it always feels like our values really don't, aren't really focused on unless, like, 
unless we have some form of talent or some form of influence or some type of attribute, you know, that just that defines who we are as individuals. And it's just it's a very sad situation that leads to competitiveness amongst each other, jealousy, hatred, insecurity, and just all that stuff. I mean, we shouldn't really be fighting each other. We should be fighting the stigmas that they place upon us. It's just one of those sad, sad situations that we all have to deal with. And it's just it's just one of those things. Um, so it's just, yeah, shout out to Malcolm X, man, for really, really, really applying himself. And although it, his fate had to come to an end, his, his whole life had to come to an end by his own brethren you know it's 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 a very sad situation but it's also just it's also just a note just to all of us man that no matter how much he put in for his people spoke well of his people uh spoke about like just autonomy really building pride in oneself and they still murdered him you know black on black crime and it's just it's it's still one of those tragic things that like we all have to de- deal with uh, day to day, also, man. Um, you know, brother killing brother. Uh, it's just people trying to hold each other down. The whole bucket of crabs mentality. When really we could just be building together. We could really rebuild another Black Street if we all put the funds into like doing that. But it's just like you know we constantly try to like disregard each other, put each other down and everything and i know we do face a whole lot of negative stigmas uh, and, and adversity within society but at the same token it's just you still you still just got to focus and get your priorities right to really building our people you know and that's what the black panthers really set on until they had to lock up all of them and it's just it's sad now even like some people from the black panthers from the original black panthers end up growing up and be like republicans and everything like it's you really wonder, like, what really goes through people's heads sometimes, but it's really none of your business at the same token. To each his own. <sighs> you know, I know I've been rambling about a lot of this because, you know, it really is stressful that we really, I know people try to rise up as black leaders, and I know, like, even Dr. Umar, uh, but definitely, I would consider him a black leader. Some people don't. You know, I do. Um, I feel like he do, does put the message out there, and I feel like putting the messages out there, and you know, being concerned for black folk and everything of all paths. I feel like that should be that should be something we should all definitely hold as as being the highest of our priorities. But uh, yeah, man, it's just I feel like we all need to really take steps to rise up as leaders ourselves you know you can't just depend on one person to lead the way we can all lean on each other we can all uplift each other we don't have to have to follow behind nobody you can just follow in your own path your own way and that's just and that should be something we should all uh consider to really apply within our daily habits and everything in regards to that too which is just build your mind, build your spirit up, heal from the past, man, because, you know, the past is the past. Malcolm X was literally like a hoodlum in New York, and he could have just been a hoodlum his whole life until he changed his mindset, you know? Anybody can change. Anybody can get better. It all just resides in you, you know? So it's just, 
I'm very proud to at least live in a time where it's like we can look back at a lot of these people's legacies from the Rosa Parks, the Martin Luther Kings and everything. And just like we, we have like a map, you know, we have a map. And it's just it's, it's really sad how the world has really, really gone through. Like we're still getting murdered by cops over nothing. We're still getting shot up for no reason it's still getting locked up for no reason they're starting to they're starting to like legalize weed but it's just like at the same token it's still pretty much illegal and you can still get locked up for that shit and it's like it just it's stuff that grows from the dirt you know this country is so so backwards and it's just it's just sad man it's just, it's very sad um man but uh yeah in regards to Malcolm X legacy, I feel like we can also we can all just look back to really to really appreciate just the work that he put into really trying to build the build awareness in regards to black nationalism and just black pride in general. I feel like it's all something we can definitely look back at. Definitely look back at in regards to really fixing various problems. Data in day-to-day life as a whole, so it's just, it's just from that. Um, yeah, that's pretty much everything in regards to Malcolm X. Uh, now in transition, we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna focus on a couple of funny clips from uh, the whole "Ask a Black Dude" <laughs> uh, segment on the Dave Chappelle show. It's a just a as a tribute to Paul Mooney. You know, I'm glad to see that, that there's so many different kinds of people here. You guys can't see at home. At home, in the wide shot, it just looks like a bunch of black people. <laughs> but it's not. It's a patchwork, a multi-ethnic, multicultural patchwork. Now, America is the same way. And I know a lot of you white people at home might have had a feeling like you have questions for your black friends that you want to ask them, but you're afraid to ask. You don't want to alienate yourself or maybe get beat the fuck up. (laughs) Well, I want to promote conversation and dialogue. So I went on the streets and gave people the opportunity to ask all the questions that made them so curious. And I got comedian Paul Mooney to answer these questions for him. If you don't know Paul Mooney, he was a... He was a writer for Richard Pryor for many years, and some say one of the best comedian working today. But one thing's for damn sure, he's an unofficial sociologist. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Ask a Black Dude. Can black guys jump high? Yeah, black people can jump high. You gotta jump. You gotta do something when you're running from the police. I ask you, why you walk like this, huh? All you, almost, all you black guy, why? Why you act like in Black people walk like that because we have style, we got flavor, we got rhythm. I mean, the black man in America is the most copied man on this planet, bar none. Everybody want to be a nigga, but nobody want to be a nigga. How about that question? Cal Channing just admitted she was a nigga. The rest of them need to break down and admit it, too. Yeah, why we black people like to smoke so much weed? Can you tell me why? <laughs> Well, I have a question for that nigga. Well, where are your teeth, nigga? <laughs> black people just like to party. They have that in their, their blood. And sometimes they can go overboard, and it's real sad. 
And don't ask me about drugs. Ask Whitney and Bobby. Don't ask me. <laughs> Very funny shit. Uh, I, let's just see if we can uh, find another clip. Hold up. Are all their dicks really big? Or are some small, some big? Is it a mixed bag? Or we just assume they're all hung like horses? Brothers are packing. They seem to be packing. I guess that's the way of the world. That's why you have so many mixed couples. White girl ain't that crazy. How's that old saying go? Once you go black, you don't come back. And you go white, you go running back to black. Ain't that the way it goes? It happens that way. Wasn't Mariah Carey married to a white man? And then they divorced. She was humping on black chairs. She went crazy when she got away from him. Okay, I've always wondered why black guys shave their heads. I mean, it just seems that they have great hair, and I could never figure out why so many of them shave their heads. It's just a fact. Now, white folks wear bald heads, too. You know that they're going to let a nigga have nothing. We wore naturals. They took that. They take everything. They took Tina Turner. They took Michael Jackson. They took James Brown. They gave him back. Who else they take? Lonnie Richie. Oh, they'll take stuff from they will take, they will, they won't let us have too much fun. That's what I told some black people the other night at my show. I said, don't get, I, I said, don't get too fond of me because white folks will come in and take me. <laughs> they only want niggas to have a little bit of fun. If I get to talking some mess on your show, they'll take your show. They'll fix you too. People want to go to black dentists and do black people want to get buried by black undertakers? That's funny. Stephen King, he almost said nigga. I read between it. Do black people want to go to black dentists? Well, maybe so. I don't know. Maybe they do want to go to black undertaker. But I mean, what's the difference when you're dead? They don't care who buries you. I mean, what difference does it make once you're dead? You're dead. You're out of here. Well, there's black undertakers or black dentists. I always thought dentists were dentists. I, I wasn't into black and white dentists, please. They can fix the teeth, cool. They can't, that's cool too. That's kind of a weird question. And coming from Stephen King, that was very strange. It must be, David, it must be your choice. That was weird. He must be a friend of yours. I have the horror man come on and ask the question about a nigga. That was already scary. I've wrote a, a, a script for Stephen King. I have a Stephen King horror movie. Nigga with a brain. We'll see how that scared people. A nigga's in school. How about that, Stephen? Still very funny shit. Yeah, but that pretty much does it for the fourth episode of Mental Threads. I know this is, this is kind of like a shorter episode um, compared to the other ones. I usually go for like 30, maybe 40 minutes. And honestly, maybe, maybe it'd be better if I like shorten up the episodes to so maybe 20 and then close to 30 minutes. Uh, regardless, it is what it is. Really. episode rest in peace paul mooney rest in power malcolm x may our ancestors guide the way may we make wise decisions moving forward may we move in consciousness 
together and may we just learn to heal each other, depend on each other, and not drag each other down. May we just learn, just learn, man, to just rise high. Remember, everything in life is temporary. You could be Detroit Red one day, you could be a small kid being called a nigger another. then end up being Malcolm X. Regardless, you just gotta keep pushing, man. Ain't no mountain too high that you can't overcome. Ain't no problem that you can't find a solution to. Gotta keep pushing. Peace.